continuing our series on relations in Genesis. We're going to do this this Sunday and next Sunday will be the last one. And uh, it's been a lot of fun to look at the book of Genesis and in particular these people that we know fairly well, but in the context of their relationships and how they relate to people and how they relate to God. And we started with Adam and Eve, we did Cain and Abel, we did Noah, uh, last week we did Abraham, good, all right, good, I forgot myself, so, uh, <laughs> but uh, t- today we're going to jump forward to the last major significant um, person in the scripture in the book of Genesis, and that is uh, Joseph. And we're actually going to do two weeks on him because the Bible spends a lot of time on him. You've got 13 chapters out of 50 that uh, are the central figure is Joseph. So as I, as I usually do with you, I want to quiz you and see what you know about him. Tell me about Joseph. We're talking about Joseph, not Mary and Joseph, i.e. Christmas. Not Joseph of Arimathea, who helped in Jesus' burial. Not that one, but one way, 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 way older. The first one in the book of Genesis. Tell me what you know about him. He had a colorful coat, yes. His father, whose name was Jacob, made him a coat. A very ornamented coat. He was a dreamer. Yes, he had dreams, and his dreams were very peculiar because they were prophetic, some of them, and they, he saw things in the future through his dreams. Good, so he's got a colored coat. He's a dreamer. What else is he? Sold into slavery. Yes, twice, actually. He was sold and resold. The brothers were jealous. Good. How many brothers does he have? Six? No, higher. He's got 11. Man, that's some family. 12 boys. I mean, there are two families in here with a lot of boys. We've got one family with four boys, another family, single mom with five boys. Joseph comes from a family of 12 boys, and the girls aren't even listed. So maybe there were girls in there too, but the boys were the ones who were listed, uh, and there are 12 of them. Oh, boy. What else do you know about him? Potiphar's wife incident, which we'll get into a moment. Yes, significant incident in his life. He feared God. He most certainly did. Yeah, and we'll see that too. All right, well, so you're pretty good. You know little pieces and parts of him. Uh, his story has been depicted in... All kinds of arts, I mean, movies, television, paintings, uh, kids' presentations, all kinds. And because there's so much in there, it's so rich. So I would encourage you, if you're looking for an easy way to get accustomed to the Bible, even the Old Testament, and even the book of Genesis, which is sometimes so confusing, you read this man's life, you can start at chapter 37 even and not even read the rest of it. And you just go from 37 to 50 there, and it, it really easy read, 
but I mean, his life just jumps off of the page. There's so many things to learn from him. So what I'm going to do with you is I'm going to give you the Coles notes of Joseph's life as it relates to his, what I call Joseph at home. So his relationships at home and how he handles himself there. And then next week, we're going to do Joseph at work. Most of you either have worked and maybe you're like, you know, semi-retired, retired some of you, but some of you, you're working, you're in the workforce 40, 50, 60 hours a week, some of you burning the candles at both ends. Uh, there's a lot to learn from Joseph about how he comported himself at work, but also at home. So I'm going to kind of give you the Coles notes of his life here so you don't have to read all 13 chapters right now, okay? But I read them this week, and I breezed through them. They're so easy to read. Take a nice cup of tea, watch the snowfall, and read about this man's life. It's really something. So 17 years old when you start here in Genesis chapter 37. At 17, we're introduced to this boy. He is uh, not the youngest of his father, Jacob, who's also called Israel, but uh, he's the second youngest. So the only one who's younger than him, his name starts with a B. Benjamin, good, okay. So, so Joseph is young, though, and he's got 11 brothers. And we see right away that his father favors him could be a problem in a family filled with boys, right? But his father tends to favor him and treat him better than the other children. And he does this in one way by making him this either a colored coat or a very elaborate coat with ornaments. We're not exactly sure, but he shows his love of him with this coat. And we see this right at the beginning in chapter 37. We also see that this young guy is rather unwise with information, if we can put it that way. So uh, he spreads a bad report about his brothers. I don't know, maybe they were playing around in the field and not working, or they weren't doing a good job or whatever. They worked in agriculture, and he spreads a bad report about them. It's not a false report, but it's a bad report. And of course, his brothers do not like that at all. He also has these dreams, these peculiar dreams, and the dreams seem to show that he's in charge of everything. He's the leader of his brothers. He's the leader of his parents. I mean, it just shows that he's going to be this, that they're interpreted prophetically for us, that he's going to be a, a rise to leadership in some kind of massive way over his brothers, over his parents. And he reveals this, and he starts talking about his dreams. It's not that his dreams are wrong. It's not that they're false. But he, he's, he's not that wise with information, at least at 17. I mean, you know, a lot of 17-year-olds are like that. But it, this causes big problems in the family. You want to see a dysfunctional family, look at the family of Jacob. I mean, this is a lesson in dysfunction. So uh, he, his brothers get very upset. And they get so jealous of him that they seek revenge against him. And uh, they, they consider killing him. Uh, but instead of killing him, they throw him down into a, into a pit or what's called a cistern. And there's no water in it. And they throw him down in there. And then they say, you know what? Instead of killing him and then lying to our father and saying that he got mauled by animals or something, let's sell him. 
So they see some, some Midianites coming, and they, and again, we're talking, you know, 3,000 years old, 3,500 years old, this story, ancient Middle East, all right? So you got to zap yourself back in time. So he gets sold on the market to the Midianites, and the Midianites resell him. So he sold and resold, and he ends up in Egypt. So his home is in Canaan. We saw back when we looked at Isaac, uh, or sorry, Abraham, he was promised the land of Canaan, or pronounced Canaan, and so he lives there, and now he's in Egypt. He's sold there 17 years old. This is his first chapter of his life. And then we watch him from chapter 39 to 40, and you consider him a young adult. It's hard to pinpoint the ages, but we have a few, a few markers there in the story. And he gets employed, if you will, by an Egyptian captain of the guard, a guy with high standing who runs the guard there. He even has a prison in his house, and uh, he's employed by this guy. He's sold to this guy. And right away, you see he comports himself in such a way that he excels in what he's doing. He's extremely trustworthy. The household is being blessed and doing very well and being very successful. And so this Egyptian captain says, you have, you, you, you have free reign over my house. You, you don't have to, uh, you're like number two in command to me. And the only thing, of course, he withholds his wife from this young man. His wife's name, uh, we're not sure of. We only know her as Potiphar's wife. And uh, Potiphar is the name of the man. And uh, so the house is doing great. The household, everything is just blessing, it seems, because this young adult is in charge. And we'll get into that next week. We talk about Joseph at work. But he is being pursued by, you know, the original, uh, what's the name of that housewife show there? It was a television show, Bad Housewives, or what was it? Desperate, he's being pursued by the original desperate housewife, Potiphar's wife. And uh, she, she is making advances to him very overtly of a sexual nature, and um, he refuses. Over and over again, he refuses, and finally, she's got him cornered, and she grabs a hold of him, and he runs off, and she, she grabs his, his garment, uh, not his coat of many colors, that was destroyed by his brothers, but she grabs his garment, Egyptian garment, whatever, and then she makes up a story and says that he tried to sexually assault her. The, the, her husband buys it and throws him into prison. Got a prison in his house, must be a massive house. Uh, so he's got, a, got him in prison, he's there for at least two years. We've got a marker for us in the text there in Genesis 40, I think. And uh, so that's another part of his life. So you can see, wow, he's, he's, got, he's quite experienced, uh, a lot of experiences this young guy has had. You know, he's 17, 18, 19, 20, and he's going through some rough, rough times. And you think that this, this young man would turn into some kind of criminal 
or some kind of reprobate, you know, with these kinds of experiences. But you keep going and you watch his life and you zap forward uh, to the age of 30. By then, he's out of prison. There's an interesting experience he has in prison where, of course, he rises to leadership even in the prison. And he ends up number two in the prison, working for the prison warden. And he's in charge of this prison. And he meets a couple of fascinating characters, a cupbearer and a baker. And he has dreams about these two men. And both of these dreams are interpreted accurately by Joseph. Again, they're their prophetic dreams, and, and one of them loses their life, and one of them uh, preserves their life and gets out of prison. So the, uh, which one, do you remember which one died and which one lived? I'll test your knowledge. No, the cupbearer lived and the baker died. And uh, so the cupbearer gets out of prison, and Joseph says, you remember me, and he, of course, he doesn't. Uh, but anyway, he, he, he gets out of prison because he's able to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. And Pharaoh has some very, very disturbing dreams that predict a famine after years of abundance. So Pharaoh has these dreams that uh, there, there's going to come seven years of abundance in the land of Egypt, and then there's going to be seven years of famine in the land of Egypt. And Joseph is able to interpret these dreams, and so he's let out of prison. And you fast forward, and you see that Joseph is extremely uh, skilled in the area of administration. He is very wise uh, in seeing the big picture, and he comes up with um, what you might call an insurance policy, the original insurance policy, if you will, uh, as to how they're going to prepare for this famine. And uh, he says, here's what we're going to do. In the years of abundance, we are going to save 20% of the grain. And we're going to pack it in silos and so on. And we're going to prepare for the worst that will happen after the seven years are over. So, you know, the Pharaoh says, man, that sounds like an amazing plan. And what does he do? He puts him in charge. You see a pattern here, and he ends up number two. Effectively, he ends up number two in the nation. And he's employed kind of as a governor. Uh, he's, he designs this insurance policy. And at the age of 30, he marries a woman named Asenath, an Egyptian. And he has two children, um, Manasseh and Ephraim, good, uh, with her, and we'll get into that in a couple of moments. So that's at the age of 30. So you see, he's not turned into some kind of a moral reprobate. He's, he's wherever he goes, it seems that God is with him, and God is, is blessing him and those around him. Even though this is a Hebrew man, he's in Egypt, and he is right in the culture and everything. And, and so at the age of 30, this is where he's at. And then from at least age 37, you fast forward a little bit because the famine comes, uh, and you, you're into Genesis uh, 40, 
two there, just flipping in my Bible. So you've got a famine uh, that is exactly as he predicts. So you had the years of plenty. You had the years of savings. You had the years of insurance being built up so that people would survive this thing. And then it comes and it hits. And it hits very, very hard. In fact, you see this famine just going on and on and on and on into years and years. Even by chapter 47, it's still on. And uh, it will be a seven-year famine. And so as a result of this famine... Lo and behold, circumstances being as they are, it's a, it spreads, and it's not only in the land of Egypt, it's into Canaan, it's into Goshen, where Jacob and, and the rest of the brothers live, who had sold him into slavery and told the father that he was dead and been mauled by animals and so on. Lo and behold, the famine hits them as well. And so they say, well, we've heard that there's grain in Egypt. We've got to go and we've got to survive. So we're going to go to Egypt and we are going to buy grain. And hopefully the Egyptians treat us well and we survive this famine. They do not know that Joseph is alive. They think he's dead or sold somewhere, but they have no idea where he is at this point. And so they go uh, from Canaan to Egypt to go and buy grain, and guess who they run into, circumstances being as they are? Joseph. Now, they don't recognize Joseph, but he recognizes them right away. And you see, right away, he's got these kind of conflicted feelings about his brothers. He sees all of them except one. Which one? Benjamin, the youngest. So Jacob had held Benjamin back. So we're going to keep Benjamin. Keep, I'm keeping Benjamin here because I do not want to lose him. This could be dangerous. I already lost Joseph. Joseph and Benjamin had uh, the, uh, a common mother. Uh, Jacob had how many wives did he have? Three wives, I think. Uh, so uh, they had a common mother, so he keeps Benjamin back, his youngest. So Joseph sees all of them except for Benjamin. He's got these conflicted feelings. He remembers his dreams, how he was the one who's in charge. He's the one who rose to power. And so he, because of these dreams, he, he's conflicted, you know, and he's, maybe he's feeling a little bit of, oh, boy, I've got them now, and I'm going to make them pay. Maybe not, but he seems a little bit conflicted, and he, he plays a bit of a game with them for a few chapters here. And it starts by him saying, you know what? I think you all are spies, I think you're here to spy on me and to spy on us, and uh, I'm not comfortable with this arrangement. And uh, who are you, where you come from, asks all these kinds of questions because he wants to know where Benjamin is. And so he, he finds out some information, and he says, you know what, I don't like you. I think you're spies, all of you into my prison for three days. Throws him in prison, and then after the little mini prison thing, and remember, they sold Joseph into slavery twice, and he ended up in prison for at least 
two years. So maybe three days isn't so bad. But anyway, he's got them in prison, gets them out of prison. He says, you know what? This, this boy that you, that, that you didn't bring, I think you're lying about him. And I want to, so here's what we're going to do. I'm keeping one of you with me in my jail. And you go back and you bring that boy. So he keeps Simeon as a kind of collateral so that he can see Benjamin, Benjamin being his brother from the same mom, seems to have an affection for Benjamin. So you see what he's doing here, right? He's kind of conflicted in the way that he's operating. Uh, So we're not sure where he stands. Is he going to take revenge on his brothers? Is he going to be kind to his brothers? Where's this all going to go as we read it? So he keeps Simeon as collateral for Benjamin. And yet, at the same time, he sends them back to Goshen. Go, Go get Benjamin. Bring him back here. We'll see if you're telling the truth or not. He puts the silver that they had gone to Egypt with to buy the grain, he puts the silver back in their bags. Just simply, it seems, as a gesture of grace. Puts the silver back. They are shocked when they find the silver in their bags, and they're scared. And they think, something's going wrong here. God is punishing us. That's why the silver is back in our... This this Egyptian ruler who we've run into is going to be upset when he's missing his silver. We're in big trouble here. He wants Benjamin. The father's not going to want Benjamin to leave his side. The father's getting older. He's going to be upset. Joseph's already supposedly dead, according to the father. They got themselves in a real pickle. So they go back to to Goshen, and they explain the whole thing to Joseph. And Joseph says, no, 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 I'm not sending Benjamin. I'm not sending Benjamin. It's not happening. And, but he, he, he has no choice because the famine gets worse and worse and worse. This is Joseph. He's 37 at least, maybe a little bit older. And they got no choice, and they've got to play the game. So uh, Benjamin arrives. And Joseph, of course, hasn't revealed his identity yet, releases Simeon from prison. And you see Joseph, he's deeply, deeply moved when he sees his brother. And you see through the whole narrative there, once he starts running into them, he has to hide his emotions. He goes off to weep frequently where they can't see him because he feels so much emotion toward his brothers who had left him for dead. And now they're right in front of him, and he sees them after all these years, presumably at least 20 years. They're back on the scene of his life, just as circumstances being as they are. And so he's deeply moved when he sees Benjamin and the other brothers are there, and he serves this feast. And we we see in the story there, he has to keep them separate from the Egyptians because the Egyptians don't like eating with Hebrews and so on. But he serves this big feast, and he favors, remember his father favored him, Joseph. Well, Joseph favors Benjamin, gives him a whole lot more food than the other brothers. He does not reveal his identity. Must have been an awkward dinner table, I suppose, but it's his feast. I mean, he's being extremely kind and generous to his brothers. You with me so far? Okay, this is the Coles Notes edition of it, okay? So, uh, he, he, and then what he does is he, he uh, 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 sends them on their way, and he plants 
uh, not just silver in the bag like he did last time, but he plants a special uh, cup uh, in guess whose bag? Benjamin's bag. It's a very special cup to Joseph. And um, he orders that they plant this in the bag. So he tells his men, you plant this, take my silver cup, put it in this Benjamin's bag and send them on their way. So um, after the, 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 the plant is done, uh, they get caught really quickly because Joseph says, okay, well, I'm going to send a search party, chase them down as they're on their way back to Canaan and, and uh, to Goshen, Canaan, same kind of area. And um, uh, uh, I'm going to send a search party and I'm going to look for that silver cup. And so they say, who's got that cup? Our master's missing a cup, and whoever's got the cup is going to be his slave forever. Like, he's really mad about this silver cup, and they search through the bags, and lo and behold, who's got the cup? Benjamin. Uh-oh, he's got the cup, and it's, no, 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 what's going on? No, no, it's God punishing us, right? And so there's all this drama. Then they're back in Joseph's area in his sort of court, and Joseph says, you know, he's going to pay. He's going to pay with his life. He's going to be my slave, like, forever. And Judah, one of the brothers, says, no, 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 take me instead, because the father's going to be so upset. We have to come back with Benjamin. Like, we can't do this. He's going he's to die. He's old, and he, it's going to kill him. We have to come back with, no, no, you can't do this. Judah, Judah says, okay, I'll, I'll, you, I'll be your slave forever. Just let Benjamin go. And, and, you know, it's back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And finally, in chapter 45, Joseph, we're told he can't take it anymore. He's, he's just, he's so emotionally uh, a wreck because his brothers are right in front of them, of him, and Apparently, he doesn't feel any animosity or hatred or revenge toward them. He's torn because he can't reveal his identity, but he doesn't want to hurt them. He doesn't want to take revenge on them. Very curious. He finally reveals his true identity. I mean, it's a spectacular scene, drama scene there in Genesis 45, and they're, they're shocked, they're afraid, the boys. It, it, Joseph is in tears. It's a very emotional time, and he's kind to them. He's not going to hurt them. In fact, in his head, the whole thing was of God in his head. We'll get to that in a second. And he reconciles with his brothers. He's got no hatred, no animosity toward them. He wants to help them and their families and the father and all his children and grandchildren and so on. You've got like a whole church filled with people, almost the size of it. I mean, it ends up being 70 plus people there just in that one family alone. And he wants to help them and bring them to Egypt so that they can survive. So he calls for Jacob, and he calls for all of his descendants to come to Egypt and brings them to his, what is really his home. And you see the famine continue over several chapters uh, into the death of Jacob and eventually into the death of Joseph himself, who dies at the age of, I think, 110. 
So that's the kind of Cole's notes of the way he handles himself with his family and with God. I want to give you three observations about Joseph at home that are jump right forward into the 21st century. These are principles that work. It doesn't what time it is. It doesn't matter what culture. It'll work for your life just as it worked for his life. Very, the, the, these things go by very, very fast, but they're extremely significant. Number one, it's very curious to see how sin repeats itself uh, in people's lives through generations in the book of Genesis right up to uh, Joseph and his brothers. Can you tell me? Where's the first instance of jealousy, brother to brother, that we see in the book of Genesis? Cain and Abel. So God favored one offering, didn't favor the other offering. Cain gets angry, revenge, jealousy, and kills his brother. Here you have uh, Joseph favored, not by God specifically, although maybe by his dreams, you could say by God, but certainly by his natural father, Jacob, what happens? The brothers get jealous. The brothers seek revenge. The brothers sell him. He gets resold, and the whole chain of events starts in his life. Curious how we see his revenge and this jealousy over and over and over again. That's because we see a pattern where sin repeats itself. It repeats itself. And yet you see Joseph... While he could end up some sort of reprobate, you know, while he could decide he's going to pay these people back once he gets them in his domain in Egypt where he's the number two guy. He's like the vice president, you know, of Egypt, and he's got them. I mean, he could, he could decimate their lives. He does not. He chooses. He makes a deliberate choice to live in a different way. So Genesis 37, 4 to 8, you see this hatred that they have to him and this desire for vengeance that they have toward him. Genesis chapter 45 uh, and verse 4, he's got a reaction uh, toward them that is so, so odd. Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. He's got a reconciliation, even though there's generations of this repeated sin. He says, no, I'm not going to live that way. I'm going to live in a godly way with reconciliation as my desire toward you who have hurt me and hurt me so, so badly. You know, there's, I've heard people teach on uh, something called generational curses. I need to tell you that I am very, very concerned when I hear this type of teaching. And when people say, well, you know, I have this issue and this sin in my life, you know, I'm addicted to alcohol and drugs and porn or whatever, and it's because there's some kind of generational curse or generational sin that's repeated and and that it's on my life, and I have to break all of these curses. Folks, I get very concerned with this. This is so not in the Bible. 
This is a playing around with a couple of texts out of the book of Exodus. It sounds really, whoa, where'd that come from? It sounds really interesting. But folks, you never see in the New Testament when people come to Christ that Paul's teaching them, you know, the Corinthians into all kinds of paganism, the Ephesians, all kinds of paganism. You never see Paul say, now listen here, you Corinthians, you Ephesians, you've got to break all of these generational curses, otherwise you're going to be in so many problems. No, what does he say? He who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, behold, the new has come. Start living new is what he says. Don't be worried about all these generational curses and whatnot. Live your life properly in Christ. Though you do see, not only in the book of Genesis, but in the whole Old Testament, seems to be a lesson in sin and judgment and forgiveness and reconciliation and sin and judgment and forgiveness and re- over and over and over and over and over again, you do see people who say no. I will not live this way, though my father lived this way, though my grandfather lived this way, though generations of my ancestors have lived this way. No, I will not live this way. One of the greatest examples beyond Joseph is a king, young king by the name of Josiah, became king as a child uh, down in the south there in, um, in Jerusalem. And Josiah had like the most ungodly father and the most ungodly grandfather that you could imagine. And yet he says as a boy, no way, I am not living like them. And he institutes a revival, like an aggressive revival. This guy deals with all of the idols in the land and grinds them into powder and it brings back the public reading of the scripture and so on. And it's incredible. As a child, he makes this decision. No, 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 I am not living like this, and nor will my nation. So people can decide, and you can decide in the way that you handle yourselves with your relationships, with your family, with your friends, with your coworkers, etc. You can decide how you're going to live. You're going to perpetuate a cycle of some kind of sin. You're going to be vengeful toward people who have hurt you. Or are you going to behave with reconciliation? Well, Joseph, he decides it's going to be reconciliation for me. Amazing. You also see with Joseph a a commitment uh, to personal holiness in very tempting circumstances. So this, this man, uh, young, so 17, 18, 19, 20, uh, and that 17, 18, 19, 20 is probably very close to our 17, 18, 19, 20. I mean, he dies at 110, but it's in the range, right? Uh, the, some of these ages in the Old Testament are real. It's a big conundrum, but with Joseph, mm, dies at 110. So his 17 is probably something like ours. Imagine 17, 18, 19, 20. He's number two in the captain of the guard's household. He's in charge of the whole thing. The household is prosperous because of him. He's such an amazing administrator. He runs a whole house. And this desperate housewife is coming on to him. He's this young guy. You know, he's got red blood, if you know what I'm saying. And this desperate housewife is coming on to him. And what does he say when she grabs him? 
and makes an aggressive advance on him. No one else is around. The husband's out. He's numbered, Joseph is number two in the house. He's got the whole, he runs the show. What does he say? How can I do such a wicked thing, Genesis 39, 9, and sin against God? Wow, wow, wow. This guy, what an example of personal holiness. Oh, my goodness. Like, you, you want to, you tell me you're a Christian. Good, good, good. It's good you tell me you're a Christian. You know you're a Christian when no one's there. When no one's in the room and you've got temptation right in front of you, that's when you know if you're a Christian or not. That's when you know when you're serious about God or not and serious about holiness or not. That's when you know. You can put a show on in front of everybody. And I've seen people play the role of, you know, church person, Christian, and so on. Very, very slick, very well. But folks, you know when you're a Christian or not, when you're all alone and it's right in front of you and temptation is right there. That's when you know if you're just playing or if you're really serious about your personal commitment to God. Look at this young guy. Incredible how he's able to withstand this temptation. And he's not dumb. He doesn't say, well, I'm a man of God and, you know, this doesn't affect me at all and get thee behind me, Satan, and, you know, this kind of stuff and stay there in the room. He runs for his life. Because he knows he's got red blood just like everybody else. So he runs for his life. Get out of there. Get out of there. I am not going to sin with this woman. She's coming on to me over and over again. She grabbed me. I'm getting, I'm running out of the house. Uh, he faces the consequences for it. Yep, she concocts a story. Yep, he ends up in prison. Yep, but he is not going to compromise. No, 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 because he's one of the real ones, you see. He's one of the real Christians. He's one of the re real followers of Yahweh, you see. And that's how you know when you're all alone and you're squeezed and you're pressed and you're tempted. What comes out? If what comes out is godliness, that's how you know. And with him, incredible. And when he marries at the age of 30, how many wives does he have? One. He's one of the only examples in the Old Testament who is not a bigamist or a polygamist en masse. His father's a polygamist, not him. He got one wife and that's it. He seems to be happy with just one. Amazing. He's over in Egypt. It's a pagan culture. He could have had more if he wanted to. Nope, he takes just one, the husband of but one wife, enough for him. Amazing, his commitment to personal holiness. What about ours today? Do we have a commitment to God when no one's looking, where we're saying we are living a godly life in spite of the culture, in spite of the availability of sin, it's at our fingertips no, we're going to choose to live for God first. And you see that in his life. Amazing. That's a decision that we can make today. And of course, at the end of the story, I mean, you know, I don't do it justice in 10 minutes. You really have to read from chapter 45 all the way through to chapter 50 when he dies to see how Joseph handles himself with his brothers. I mean, they continue to be afraid of him that he's going to take vengeance on them, especially when Jacob dies. When Jacob dies, 
because they say, oh, brother, now he's gone. So now Joseph, is, he's going to really let us have it now because dad's gone. He's going he's gonna to kill us. Joseph, no, he doesn't. He's, he's on the path constantly. Forgiveness, reconciliation. You see that he's even uh, told a message by his father through his brothers uh, from beyond the grave. You know, in, in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 15, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? We're done for, right? So they send word to Joseph and they uh, uh, saying this, your father left these instructions before he died. So here's what daddy says. And look what, look what daddy allegedly said. This is what you are to say. Joseph, uh, uh, I ask you to forgive your sins or your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed. He already did. He didn't need to be reminded in, in treating you so badly. Now, please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. And they send this message to Joseph. And Joseph weeps. He weeps. He frequently weeps when he's in the presence of his family. You know, the shortest verse in the Bible, right? Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Here, Joseph weeps. And he says, I'm not going to hurt you. And they say, we're your slaves. We're your slaves. And he says, no. He says, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Verse 20, Genesis 50. You intended to harm me. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, the saving of many lives, not just theirs, the nation. He saves the whole nation, Joseph, because circumstances being as they may, right, happen to him. He's the saving of many lives. Don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And be re he reassured them and he spoke kindly to them. Reconciliation. Uh, Genesis uh, 45 and... Um, and uh, verse uh, 8, uh, same idea. He has this kind of weird picture that all of these circumstances that have happened to him, sold and resold into slavery, in jail, out of jail, uh, all these things that have happened to me, this it, whole thing, there's a grand hand of power behind my life, and that power is not you, all my 11 brothers who tried to hurt me. It's not daddy who gave me this coat. It's not Pharaoh. It's not Pharaoh's wife. There is a hand of power that is with me, and it's the hand of God. God has arranged all this stuff. Verse 8, so then it was not you who sent me here, my brothers, but God sent me here. Wow, what a, what a perspective. He's able to look through this painful circumstance. Imagine being hated by his brothers. Yes, he's not wise with information. He's only 17 years old. Sure, he should have kept his mouth shut, but to be hated by your brothers to that extent, sold, resold, left for dead, end up in a strange place, you know, living your life as this young guy. I mean, he sees God in all of that. Wow, what an attitude. What a perspective through the painful moments 
No, 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 no. All of this, the hand of God is behind it in one way or another. And you see, he continued, and you will see it in the narrative. It says, God was with Joseph. God was with Joseph. God was with Joseph. It's not that he just was magically sort of protected by God. He makes intentional choices to keep God first in his life, and you see it come out. And you see he has a vision, an understanding of God, an understanding of the events that have occurred over decades in his life. And he says, God is behind it all. Wow, do we look at our life like that? Do we look at the painful moments and the experience with experiences with family, with friends, in relationships? You ever been betrayed by your family? You ever been deceived? You ever been hated? You ever had family take revenge on you? You ever had people do that to you? And you turn around and you say, no, 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 at the end, it's God's behind that. God, there's a purpose, a grander purpose that God is working out. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. Amazing. And I, I challenge you today, I think that all of these things are applicable to us in the 21st century. We all face these moments, maybe not the same thing exactly as Joseph, obviously, but the same kind of flavor in one way or another, the same wrapping paper, or different wrapping paper, I should say, but the same flavor. How do we respond to it? The choice ultimately is up to us. I'd like the musicians, if they could come and and we're just going to close in prayer before we let you go today. Uh, I, I just think that there's so much in his life for us to learn. I would really challenge you, uh, you know, pick up a Bible and, and read from Genesis 37 to Genesis 50 this week. It wouldn't even take you that long. And you're going to see, wow, wow, wow. There's, there's nuggets in there that apply to me today. There's things that I can learn. There's things that I can memorize that are going to help me live in a godly way and not just my way. Father, I pray for each person who's in the room today, those who are watching online, electronically. Uh, Lord, there may be those who are even going to come to our event in a couple of weeks and they're watching right now and checking out our church and trying to figure us out. Uh, Lord, I pray you would speak to people by your spirit here in person, but even through the electronics, you would speak to people, you would challenge people. This man is in the scripture for a reason to teach us. And Lord, we can look and we can see things that, that we, can, we can do the same thing. We can make a choice, Lord, to put you first in our lives. We can make a choice to not repeat the sins of generations. We can make a choice to live in forgiveness and reconciliation and not vengeance. Lord, we can be the man, the woman of God when no one is looking. I pray you would speak to us and challenge us as we move into the holiday season, Lord. Uh, when we say that we're followers of you and we say that we're Christian when we say that Jesus is the reason for the season and so on uh, Lord may it be so may it be really so in our lives may we have an authentic walk with the Savior today 
Lord, if we're in the room or, or online, we just call out to you afresh and say, God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. Have mercy on me. Come into my life, Jesus, and walk with me. Help me to walk with you. Help me to be led by you and not by myself. And Lord, to, to build a relationship with God. Lord, we worship you and we praise you for your faithfulness today, for your grace today, and for your mercy toward us. We pray together in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. 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 God bless you today. Uh, remember, if you want to sign up to serve, you can do so out in the foyer. Remember to pick up your kids. Thank you for leaving your gifts behind. And just a quick notice, if you have uh, still uh, boxes for Operation Christmas Child, I think this is the last day that you can drop them off. Go online and you will see where to go. God bless you. Have a great, great Sunday. Every breath we could ever breathe.